You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. How would you like to be following that? Man, those kids are so, they were so cute this morning. And uh, hopefully that won't be all Sunday like it was last week. Um, but, but, But the great thing about what the kids did this morning was the gospel was so very clear. Their theme, S'more of Jesus, that's practically our theme this morning as well. In the book of Colossians, it's exactly what we're talking about. If you're here for the first time, um, welcome. If you've been coming lately, maybe the last month or so, I just wanted to mention all of those things that Keisha talked about before the service. We'll be putting them in the bulletin, making sure that you're aware of announcements of of when we're going to have the the fireworks. That will be on July 3rd. But then also the dessert competition, discovery lunch, potluck. We've got a lot of opportunities for you to get to know uh, the Grace family in rather informal settings, not the Sunday morning uh, setting. So a lot of that will be coming up. Just be listening for it. Uh, Also, if you're here for the first time, it will be helpful for you to know that we are in a series in the book of Colossians. Now, I have been given strict instructions to make sure that this is at least normal length sermon, maybe just a teeny bit longer because they are, are, are back there finishing up BBS. So if you have to get up in the service, I get that. I understand that. Um, there will be an usher collecting $50 when you go out and come back in. So, so but anyway, um, please understand this, is a, a, this will be just a t- little bit longer service than we typically have. Well, um, for those of you who have been here for a while, aren't aren't you glad we're in this little book for the summer, Colossians? What a beautiful description of Christ and how he works in our lives. Um, Last week, we contemplated the divine Son of God in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. Now think about that. All the fullness, all that God is, his, his righteousness, his his mercy, his wisdom, his love, it's all in Jesus. The week before that, we learned that believers have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Father's beloved Son. And again, it was a theme this morning that we kept hearing about light. We've been brought in the light. We've been, gone, we've been taken from darkness and put into light. This morning, we're going to learn of the blessings of being in Christ, or if I had been clever enough, it would be s'more in Jesus, you know. If you, Christ in you, you in Christ. When we identify uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we usually use the term Christian. Uh, so tell me about your, your faith. What is your faith? Oh, I'm a Christian. In, in the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times, and at least two of those times, it was used pejoratively. It's sort of in a derisive manner. Oh, they're just Christians. They're a little Christ walking around. Um, when Paul wrote about those in the faith, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Colossians, he didn't say that they were Christians. He used the term, though, in Christ or in the Lord or in him more than 150 times. 
considerably more. Even if you just take out in him, it's almost 150 times that he talked about in Christ or in the Lord. So what's the significance of that? That as believers in, in Jesus, we are in Christ? Well, we'll see. Our, our text this morning is Colossians 1, 21 through 29. But we're going to read last week's text also as context. So we will be beginning in verse 15. And it's our custom here, out of respect for the word, to stand as scripture is being read. So I will ask you, if you would, please stand. <laughs> Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities... <clears throat> All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this majesty, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Let's pray. Well, Father, those are some beautiful promises about what is ours when we are in Christ. They're beautiful promises, Lord, for those that you have called into your family. Father, we pray that just as we have witnessed this morning, these children so eager to hear and to learn about you and to sing about you, that our hearts would be open in the same way and that we would understand some of these rather difficult uh, 
words that are in Colossians 1 and that, Lord, as a result, we would walk out of this place different people. Not that we are different in, in most cases, but that we understand a little bit more the blessings that are ours in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. And be seated. Well, I, no doubt after this reading, I, I, I'm sure that many of you would say, wow, there's some difficult things in there. I wonder what this means. I mean, making up, I'm suffering to make up what's lacking in Christ's suffering. What is that? So we're going to take a little time, go through the text, try to understand what it means, and then we're going to talk about the blessings that we have in Christ or think about the blessings we have in Christ. Remember, uh, in verse 21, it follows immediately after the beautiful description that's given of Christ in verses 15 to 20. So it, it's not surprising that, that Paul would tell this group of people that they had been alienated from God. They were alienated from the Lord. Uh, they were Gentiles after all, so Gentiles weren't part of the promised chosen people that was Jews and in the past, if you wanted to get to Yahweh, if you wanted to get to Jehovah, you had to go through the Jewish nation. You had to go into the synagogue, become a Jew um, ceremonially, and then you could be right with God. But now, a way has been made for Gentiles to be directly in connection with God. They don't have to go through any mediator, and it's in Jesus. But, and, and so it's, <clears throat> it's not... Offensive to be told that you were alienated in the past. You were on the outside. But then, <coughs> to say hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. A lot of people don't. Look, there are some of us who have no problem accepting that. I have no problem. That's, me, that's who I was until the Lord saved me when I was 18 years old. I was hostile in my mind toward God. I, 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 I committed evil deeds gladly. And if it's in his face, well, that was okay. I had no problem recognizing this. But for those who, who grew up fairly good, you know, they were good boys and girls and, and really never got into trouble. They, they avoided the big sins. It's more difficult maybe to recognize that. But, but, but we'll never, never come to the Lord until we realize that we've got a sin problem and we are all the kind of sinners that God says we are. When God opens our eyes to the seriousness of our sin as we stand before a holy and righteous God, well, then there's a far greater chance of repentance and trust in the one who had to die for us. Verse 22 tells us that when we see our sin, it's not a matter of cleaning ourselves up so that God will not condemn us. Our sin was so grievous that we were already condemned, every one of us. And God had to send his son to die in our place. That's how serious our sin was. The great exchange of our sin for Jesus' righteousness. Jesus trading his righteousness for our sin. Taking our sin upon himself so that we could become righteous. It's seen over and over in the New Testament. And here it is, here it is again. He has now... <clears throat> reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order he's reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach 
before him. So let me ask you this. Um, have you done anything this past week that you would be really embarrassed if we had found out about it and we called you up here? You know, Ricky Lake, come on up here, brother. We want to share with the uh, congregation just what you... Would you be embarrassed to stand before the Lord? How can we be presented blameless before God? Because the one who was without blame took our sin and our blame upon himself. And God credited, Jesus credited, or God credited, credited Jesus' holiness to us. But then verse 23 seems to put a condition on us standing blameless before the Lord. You will be presented holy and blameless and above reproach if indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This sounds a little bit like, okay, Jesus did his part. Now it's up to you to do your part. He died for you. He will present you blameless as long as you hang in there and, and do your part. I can assure you that is not what the Apostle Paul was saying. Do you remember what he said to the Galatians in Galatians 3? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly or portrayed, publicly portrayed as crucified. By the way, let me just stop right here. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Was Jesus crucified in the province of Galatia? No. Paul is saying, I preached it so clearly that you could see it in your mind's eye. This imagination is going to come in to be very important. Our understanding of, of, of God, who God is, and what he does for us is going to be very much in play in a little bit. Well, I'll, I'll talk more along, along the way about that and, and, and then especially in, in three or four weeks. Then, then Paul says in verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So it's, you didn't keep the law to, 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 to begin your relationship with Christ. <clears throat> Nor do you keep it by good works. In fact, you may remember from our study in Hebrews, look, I, I want it over and over because I just felt like, well, I, okay, here's what he's saying. He's warning people not to walk away from Jesus. <clears throat> and he's warning them not to be careless with their sin. And clearly, that is a warning to all believers that's in the New Testament. But over and over in the book of Hebrews, he said, don't leave the gospel where your only hope is Jesus and go back to trusting your work and, and, and obedience to the law as your means of salvation. Because if you are trusting the law, Jesus means nothing to you. Don't walk away from Jesus. He didn't say, don't start partying again. Should a Christian start partying? No. Don't. Well, I mean, if it's a Christian party, you know. In Christ party, I guess. But, but not, not the kind of lifestyle that we used to live. Don't go back to that. No, but don't 
count on the fact that you're not doing that as your hope of salvation. Your hope is in, <coughs> in Jesus. So what does this verse mean? What does Colossians 1.23 mean? In the Greek, this is a first-class conditional sentence. In fact, many times when you see if in the New Testament, it's a first-class conditional sentence. And it's one, and what that indicates in the Greek is that the outcome is assumed. You could almost, it's not quite the same um, level in the Greek where you would say in the, in the English sense, indeed, you will continue in the faith. But it's, it's, it's in that direction. So what it means, it's a, it's, it's a first class conditional. Look, if you're saved, I have confidence that you will keep doing this. So why say it like this? <clears throat> why even say, since you were saved, I know that you're going to keep doing this. It, it, it's, a, it's a means of grace. It's one of the ways that God helps us in the Christian life. To say, this is serious business. Don't play around with this. In fact, one of the things that is quite clear in other scripture and, and is implied here, <clears throat> implied strongly, in fact. If there's no fruit in your life of a Christian, what a Christian should live like, then that's a good time to, to do some examining. Am I really in the faith? Now, let me just say this. If, the, if you're the kind who really struggles with doubting your salvation and, the, and, and this strikes terror in your heart, probably you're not the one who needs to hear that. Um, because the more sensitive you are to sin, the more you are aware of your failures. In fact, you may say, look, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm a lot worse than I was five years ago. You may not be. You may just be more aware of your sin now than you were five years ago. And so consequently... You feel like there's this awful void or, or, or sin in your life. And the Lord is really bringing you more into the image of Christ, becoming more into the image of Christ. But the closer you get to that, the, the more you realize how far you've got to go. The ones who need to hear the, the, the warning about walking away from Christ and, and just living any way you want to are the ones... Who, whose lives are careless and, and selfish and wanton, but they are thinking, hey, I prayed the prayer, so I'm cool. I prayed the prayer, so everything's good. Those are the ones who need to take serious stock of their lives. Verse 23 is more like a promise than it is a warning. If you are in Christ, you will remain steadfast in your hope of the gospel. <clears throat> Life has its ups and downs, and you may... Have a period where you're just saying, ah, I just can't do this. And you, and you, you step away for a little bit. But, but God's not going to let you stay away. He's going to keep bringing you back to him. The 95 Theses, the, Martin Luther, who began the Reformation 500 years ago, October 31st, 500 years ago, 95 Theses that, that attacked Many of the aspects of the, the, the Catholic Church which said, look, if you do this, this, and this, and especially if it involves money, you will uh, be saved. And if not, you're in big trouble. So give us money. 
the, the Catholic Church was corrupt. If you're Catholic, if you were Catholic, the Catholics will tell you that the church was corrupt at, at, when Martin Luther came along. So it was a perfect storm in a sense, they would say. But Martin Luther said the very first thesis is along the lines of life is a life of continual repentance. The Christian life is a life of continual repentance. If you are a believer, you'll recognize when you've failed, when you've sinned against the Lord, and you'll say, God, forgive me. And he graciously and very quickly forgives you. On that day when you stand before him, you will be presented blameless. Now, for another difficult verse, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is, the church. What, what is Paul saying? Is he saying that Jesus' suffering was not enough for our salvation? Look, never take one verse of scripture, pull it out and say, pull it out and put it on the table and say, aha, this is the way God, it is so clear in all of scripture that Jesus paid it all, that his death on the cross was sufficient. His blood was the propitiation for sin. In other words, God's wrath was poured out on Jesus because, of, because our sin was upon him. God was satisfied with that. In our text, we have been told that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us, or in Colossians 1, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of text. It also says that we are reconciled to him in his body of flesh by his death. Over and over it says it's Jesus' death on the cross that made us worthy to stand before the Lord. So what does Paul mean when he says, I rejoice that my sufferings are filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. Three things uh, to know about it, to, to help understand that. First, it, it was a Jewish belief that the Messiah would come, but before he would come, there would be a time of great tribulation. Now, the Apostle Paul believed that Jesus had come, the Messiah had come, but that he was going to return. He had gone back to heaven, and there would come a day when he would return. And by the way, Paul and all the apostles, everybody in, in the first century expected Jesus to return at any time. <coughs> And you can look at that one of two ways to say, hey, look, don't, don't be so sure that Jesus is coming next week. Or you could, be, or you could say, man, we need to be looking for Jesus to return any time. That's, that's the posture of a Christian. We ought to be anticipating his return. And so Paul um, understood that, that, as he said in Acts 14, 22, as he was teaching young believers, that through many tribulations... We must enter the kingdom of God. He understood that suffering, just like Jesus had suffering, suffering is the lot of the believer, the body of Christ. He also understood that one of the purposes of suffering is to strengthen our hope of eternal life and to bring us closer to Christ in this life as we share 
in his suffering. So that's the first thing. Believers are called to suffer. Second, Paul understood living in Christ in context of a corporate personality as in the church. We read the Bible, we read the New Testament, and we read it as it's written to us. For God so loved Brad that he gave his only begotten son that if Brad would believe. It's not the way the New Testament is written. It's written to all believers in the church. Now, there's, there is, you could absolutely say that, and it's great to say that. In fact, I would say it to, to someone if I'm witnessing to it. Jesus loved you that much that he died for you. <clears throat> but most of what is written is written to the body. And it's not written to the body of Christ that is all over the world. It's written to local bodies all over the world. It's written to the local body of the church. Now, Paul is thinking in big, big church kind of mentality here when he's saying, we are the body of Christ, and suffering is, is our lot as the body. There's a certain amount of suffering that the body of Christ, that the church is going to have to go through, and that leads to the third peg in Paul's thinking. There's a certain level of suffering the church must endure, and if I can take some of that suffering in your place, then I'm happy to do it. Essentially what he was saying. There's lots of other interpretations about this, but this one makes good sense to me, that Paul is saying, I would be glad to suffer. Surely as the minister of the gospel, and especially as the apostle to the Gentiles, he suffered a lot getting that gospel out. Um, but essentially, he's saying, I would like to take that suffering for you. And I'm happy to do so. And I rejoice. In verse 26, Paul said that he had been given the privilege of proclaiming the mystery hidden for ages and generations. But now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In the New Testament, the, the term mystery is used of a truth that was previously hidden but now has been revealed. In the Old Testament, it's an Old Testament idea, especially from the book of Daniel. Peter had said in his letter, one of his two letters, that, <clears throat> that, that the Old Testament writers knew that there was... They were writing about something that was in the future. And the Holy Spirit revealed to them that they were serving those who would be in the future. They didn't understand all the prophecies, the Isaiah 53, the Psalm 22, all over Scripture, Genesis 3.15. They didn't understand what it was pointing to. They knew it was pointing to the Messiah, but they didn't understand all about it. And so we now have the blessing of understanding what the mystery is. I'm sure a lot of you like mysteries, books, um, shows. You like to figure out what's going to happen too, don't you? I mean, which is better, to be able to figure it out or to be able to be, oh, wow, I just didn't see that coming. But it's a really good story. It's not like, I mean, some of the mysteries, you know, they, they kind of, uh, it's kind of like they mislead you and then, bam, here's a character nobody, you've hardly even known at all. And all of a sudden, this is the character. That that's, this is the guilty one. Um, at the very least, if you like to be surprised and your spouse doesn't, you want them to shut up during the show while you're watching the show so you can 
you can be surprised. Oh, it's going to be that one. You know, it always is. It's, it's some people just figure it out. Look, this is a mystery that has been revealed to God's elect, to the saints, to those who believe in Jesus. said it last week. I'll say it time and again. It's not a matter of show me, God, that you exist and I'll believe, but rather God saying, believe me and I'll show you. When we believe, the mystery of the Old Testament is now revealed in Christ and it all begins to make sense. What is the mystery? Verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory uh, riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. First of all, especially if you were alive in that time, you'd understand what a big deal it is that, that the Gentiles would now be known as the people of God. This is a glorious truth. But it's far more than that. Here is the news that is described as the riches of the glory of this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you recall from verse 19 that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus, and now Jesus is in us, that's a big deal. So, Paul, when he says that Christ in you is the hope of glory, is he saying that Christ now dwells among the Gentiles or that Christ lives in you? Most likely he's saying both. I mean, again, to... to for Christ to dwell amongst the Gentiles was a mind-blowing proposition in itself. But, but when you think about the way that the New Testament writers talk about God living in us, most of the time it's through the Holy Spirit. Some of the time he says, Christ lives in you. Either way, God dwells in you, and this is no small thing. Look at the response to such truth in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He's talking about mostly believers now. I'm, I, I'm warning everyone that they need Christ, but also warning believers that they need to walk the straight and narrow in the power of the Lord. Whenever you see a word repeated in the New Testament, it's usually emphatic. And the word everyone, this is not a life reserved for spiritual elites. <clears throat> You, you may feel at times that you just don't measure up. Think about all the people that are around you or that, that teach the Bible or this or that, and you think, wow, I just, I'll never be like that. But that's okay. I'm just supposed to do what I'm supposed to No, this kind of life is, is, is for every single believer. God's will that Paul prayed you would know in verse 9 is that you stand before the Lord complete. You will stand mature and complete before God in Christ because you are in Christ. There's no doubt, though, that, that effort on our part is expected. I think it was Dallas Willard who said that grace is not incompatible with effort. Grace is incompatible with earning. It's not a matter of I'm earning my salvation, but is effort expected? Absolutely. That's what Paul seems to say in verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
You don't get the sense that Paul thought of life in Christ in the same half-hearted way that many of us do. Some people, a lot of people that go to church say, well, yeah, my faith is important to me. Your faith, no, it's not just that your faith is in Christ. You are in Christ. In Christ. It's not something just to pick up every now and then. It's your life. Granted, as the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul possessed an urgency to get the gospel to as many people on earth as he could, but... But are these verses written only to let us know how consumed Paul was about that? Or did, he, did God expect us to imitate Paul in this? Clearly, that's, that's the case. We are to approach this life with the seriousness that Paul had. And so what does it mean? It means toil, working hard, and struggling, but not in your own strength. It is his energy that so powerfully works in you. You remember from Colossians 1.11, we were informed that God has strengthened us with all power according to his glorious might. So let's take a few minutes and apply the truth of our text by thinking about five blessings that are available to those who are in Christ. Beginning with, in Christ, you are not who you were. Hallelujah. Look, we were hostile in mind whether we felt that way or not. We were alienated from God. We are no longer who we were. You were an enemy of God, committing evil deeds, but now you have been redeemed, reconciled to God. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus, and when he sees Jesus, he's pleased. Brothers and sisters, live as though you are in Christ. Don't believe it when every commercial on television tells you in one way or another, you deserve this product. You deserve this easy life. We deserve eternity in hell apart from God. Don't we have been reconciled, redeemed? Live as though you have been redeemed. Brothers and sisters, do not react Hostily towards those who disagree with you about things. This is a day where we're saying awful things about one another. Awful things. Well, we do it publicly. We wouldn't do it one to one usually. Well, I would. Well, look, we've all got we gotta quit this. As believers, we're in Christ. Do like Jesus did. He opened not his mouth, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He let him take care of the people who were opposed to us, opposed to him and hated him. Brothers and sisters, you are no longer slaves to sin. You are free to live righteously in Christ. And there are so many more contrasts we could make. In Christ, you are no longer who you were. Second, in Christ, you are called to serve with all his energy. Look, this room is divided into two groups of people. I don't know which group is larger. Uh, some of you sense the presence of God everywhere you go. You just, you're just aware that the Lord is around. And the other group of you envy the group that senses the presence of God. You just don't. You know, your personality is just not going to allow you to to sense God's presence and nearness and his comfort. 
and is leading his guidance. If that's the case, you have been given the, the, the privilege of exercising more faith. When you serve the Lord, you're not serving in your own strength. You're serving with his strength, working powerfully and mighty on you. How is this accomplished? More about this in chapter 3 in four weeks. For now, in Christ, you are privileged to share the mystery of life with those who don't know. This mystery has been made known to who? To those who believe. You know something that the rest of the world doesn't know. Paul spent a lot of time in Colossians 1 explaining the mystery that was previously hidden but has now been revealed in and through Christ. And he considered it a privilege to tell it to as many people as he could with, with all of the Lord's energy uh, that the Lord had, energy that the Lord had given him. It, it, it's not arrogant to say that you understand the great mystery of life. That is not, that's not arrogant. In fact, it is unconscionable that we have this incredible news and we sit on it. We keep it to ourselves. You are privileged to bring good news to the lost. There are a lot of people that are not going to consider it good news, though, and you may well suffer for your witness, but that's okay because in Christ you will find joy in suffering. Can you imagine Paul? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul saying, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake? Now look, if... You and, and, and your spouse or you and a family member, you and a friend are together and one of you is going to have to suffer and somehow you're given the choice. It's either you or her, him or her, him or him. You might very well say, I'm happy to do that. I don't want my, I love this person so much. I'll take all of the suffering. But it's still, it's pretty amazing thing. Look, we're, we're going to Australia tomorrow. We're going over there where the great white sharks swim freely. Um, one, there was a guy who um, one time I said, really, you surf out there all the time? He said, yeah, there are two rules for surfing. One, always go with a friend. Two, be able to swim faster than your friend. You know? So <laughs> that's, that's kind of, that, that's the deal. That, that's the way most of us think about life, isn't it, you know? All right, one of you has to suffer. <laughs> you know, I was stupid kind of, kind of thing. Um, but Paul said, I rejoice in these sufferings that are for you. <laughs> Look, when I think about suffering, I can be pretty somber. I mean, when I, when I think about the suffering that may be ahead for believers, I say, brothers and sisters, we may be called to suffer. Oh, let us pray. Well, look, prayer is a good idea, but so is rejoicing. We ought not to be glum about whatever it is that God calls us to do. And, and, and I didn't want to, I, I thought about this, I took it out, and of course I'm putting it back in. First of all, I want to think about your suffering. What about, what about physical suffering? That has nothing to do with your witness. What about those of you who are struggling with, with uh, things that are chronic 
chronic pain or, or aggravation, like, like Jackie Tilka and Kathy Wells and Diane McLaughlin, tinnitus or, or, or vertigo that's just, it, it just it's debilitating. What about those? Can you say that you're suffering for the Lord when, when that kind of thing is happening? Well, it, it's perhaps not in the same category as suffering because we've shared the gospel and people are angry about it. But look, the, the book of Job and Paul's thorn in the flesh in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians make us stop and pause and think maybe there's something really going on that's in the spiritual realm. It's more than just the fall that all of these things that have happened to us or happened, happened because of the fall back when Adam and Eve sinned against God. So maybe I will have this fixed before I, next time I get back. No, I won't, but I just said that makes me feel better to say it. Um, look, think about the response to any suffering in Scripture. Um, the apostles, when they were persecuted in Acts chapter 5, they were beaten, their backs were bared and, and beaten for the gospel. They, they rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. And, and Paul and Silas, when they had been unjustly accused and beaten and thrown in prison in Philippi because the, they were impacting the economic well-being of the people at Philippi. Just try that this week and calling out some of the unethical practices at your place of business. That's not going to go very well. You're not going to be appreciated very much when you do that. The book of 1 Peter is dripping with joy as Peter sought to prepare his readers for intense suffering. So what about the physical suffering? Could it be? This is speculation, and I, 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 could, I don't want to get in trouble doing it, but I'm just speculating. Could it be in the same way that Paul said, look, I'm happy to take some of your suffering on me so that you don't have to? Maybe that's the physical suffering too. Maybe when God calls us to suffer, there's a, there's a collective church body of Christ, and so I suffer, you don't have to. Rejoice in that. There is a communion with the Savior. And by the way, suffering goes far beyond the physical things. Well, depression can be physiological, but some of you suffer with that. Anxiety, it's great within you, and you read the verses about fear, but... You can't make it work. It's all a part of suffering. Rejoice in who God made you to be and what he called you to endure. For whatever reason, God may call you to suffer and you can rejoice in the hope of glory that is yours in Christ. Last of all, in Christ, you will be presented <coughs> mature before the Lord. <clears throat> I've done some calculations. And at this rate, I have determined that if I can live until I'm 149 years old, I will be presented before the Lord as a mature believer. Well, at least that's my hope at 149. Look, whenever I stand before the Lord, I will stand mature and complete, not because of me, but once again, I will be standing in Christ, I will be presented in Christ. 
Your union with Christ has far more power to move you towards spiritual maturity than you imagine. Again, like I've said, you may already be moving there and not be aware of it. You may feel like you're going backwards, but the Lord is just bringing another thing to, your, to light in your mind and saying this is something we need to work on. Look, I want to talk just a moment, and then we're done, about imagination. Our union with Christ, um, the ways that our imagination serves us in thinking about our union with Christ. God frequently calls us to employ our imagination. Uh, it's a sanctified imagination. It's not just the, the private musings of a spiritually minded individual. What does it mean? Well, whatever scripture says, seek those things which are above, not those things which are on the earth. You've got to use your imagination a little bit to understand what does it mean to seek those. You think about Christ seated at the right hand of God, making us worthy to come. We have access to the throne room of God. We've never seen it. We've seen drawings maybe. But in our hearts, in the imagination that God has given us, we can see these things in uh, a greater reality. I heard someone say one time that the image of God is not, it's not in our ability to reason that it's so clearly seen. It's in our imaginations because when we are creating, we are most like God. We don't create ex nihilo. We don't create without nothing, but from nothing. We create on the basis of materials that we are able to use, but still it is an indication that we are made in his image. So how does that work, this imagination thing with scripture? You, we're suspicious of that kind of talk because we are, are, are anchored in scripture. Well, four weeks today, four, from today, Lord willing, and the scorpions and brown snakes and the funnel web spiders don't attack us when we're in the outback of Australia. I will address that topic from Colossians chapter 3. Almost feel guilty about preaching to Colossians 1 and 3 and David and, and, and Ricky and Scott get to preach Colossians 2. But I've talked to all three of them and they are really excited because there is beautiful truth all the way through this book. I'm looking forward to Colossians 3, 1 through 4. So in the meantime, read this book, Colossians. It won't take you long at all. Just read it through several times over the next few weeks and, and get a good ESV study Bible or an NIV study Bible, another study Bible, uh, the late one is CSB, the uh, Christian Standard Bible. One of those study Bibles will be a great tool in helping you understand what you're reading. And above all, just understand all that the book of Colossians tells us about the good news of our union with Christ. So let's pray. Well, I feel like, especially if you were here for the first time, that's, that's like drinking from a fire hydrant. There's a lot of um, truth that is fairly deep waters, and we've been thinking about not only the book of Colossians, but some of these concepts here at Grace for a long time. I, I, I pray that every one of us will have a little better understanding of what it means to be in Christ. If you're here today and you are not in Christ, if your hope for standing before God and Him saying, I, I'm pleased with you, is 
has been on the basis of what you have done. Oh, please recognize that your only hope is to be standing there in Christ, to be presented in Christ, by Christ, with Christ by your side. And so, if that's the case, at any point now, after you've thought about it, prayed about it for a while, just call out to the Lord and say, God, I recognize that I am indeed the kind of sinner you've said that I am. I also believe that Jesus was sent to the earth to die for my sins, and I put my whole trust and hope in him. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my life and save me. He delights in doing that. As we uh, pray, we'll also pray for the benevolence offering that we take for those who are in need, both inside our church and outside of the church. We do this in the last Sunday of the month. Father, we thank you for the riches that you have, have freely given to us. We thank you for what it means to be in Christ. We pray that our lives would reflect it this way. We recognize that if it's going to happen, it's going to have to be in your strength. And we have been promised that. And so we delightedly believe and receive that power that works in us. Thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to, um, to give to those who are in need. And we pray that you would receive these offerings uh, from our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.